Well, good afternoon. My name is Anthony Adams, and I'm a candidate to become the mayor of the great city of Detroit. Please share your Detroit background and relationship to Detroit, your history of being a Detroiter. Certainly. Uh, I moved to Detroit back in 1981. At that time, I was a, a young law school graduate, having graduated from Georgetown University Law Center, and had been selected to be the first African-American clerk for the Honorable Anna Diggs Taylor, U.S. District Court Judge for the Eastern District of Michigan. I moved to Michigan at a time when people were leaving out in droves, but I saw great opportunity and hope here. And so my first apartment actually was right down the street on Calvert and LaSalle, 2419 Calvert. I could see Central High School out of my window. It was a very nice home, two-family flat, a Mr. and Mrs. Man. Uh, they've since gone on to glory, but they were a really nice couple and rented to me my first apartment in the city. Tell the story of what led you to run for office. So I had been just kind of enjoying life, I'll be honest with you. You know, had been in, in the political world, uh, having been an executive assistant to a mayor, having been the deputy mayor, having been the elected school board president. I mean, I kind of was enjoying myself. But I started getting approached by a lot of people who said, we need someone to run for mayor who really understands the issue, who can really speak to the people, who has a broad base of knowledge and experience that can help people understand that what they're getting is not what they deserve. And so as I traveled around the city and talked to a lot of people, it came very clear that there needed to be someone who had ex experience, who had skill, and who really had the courage necessary to kind of tell it the way it is and to really bring the city on a different trajectory and then have the skill set necessary to make that happen. And so after much thought and prayer and deliberation, uh, I came to the decision that I needed to run for mayor and offer myself up for leadership as a public servant. What is your understanding of the duties of the office you are running for? So the office of mayor is probably the most important position in the city of Detroit. The mayor is tasked by charter with broad responsibilities to ensure and uphold the public health and safety and welfare of the people who actually live in the city. This means he's supposed to use his talents and his skills to uplift and improve the quality of life of all citizens in Detroit. Rich, poor, black, white, uh, that is his responsibility is to make sure that there is a plan of action that encompasses improvement of the city, that delivers a key critical services, and also provides entrepreneurs for the opportunity to compete uh, for resources that the city has. It also has a responsibility for protecting the public health and safety of the people in the city of Detroit. And as we learned during this pandemic, you know, if you're not very aggressive uh, in taking action, then a lot of bad things will happen. He's also responsible for protecting the public safety of the people who live in the city of Detroit. That means having the necessary police resources and fire resources to ensure that people are protected. And when, they, when the call is made, that the call is answered. He also has a responsibility for economic development to ensure that there's an equitable distribution of economic benefits that exist here within the city of Detroit. And there are other responsibilities, but those are just some of the key responsibilities that the mayor has. Are you familiar with and what is your position on the Detroiters Bill of Rights? I am very supportive of the Detroiters Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is what I say an aspirational document which talks about what the city should strive for. The city should strive, for example, to have an equitable, affordable housing policy. The city should strive for having uh, water 
affordability. I believe that water is a human right. The city should also strive for an environment that allows people to reach their full potential, whether it's by competing or bidding on city services, whether it's having the opportunity to be employed by the city. The city has a responsibility to ensure that all things that are necessary for people to be prosperous and live a good life in the city, that's kind of what the Bill of Rights is, an aspirational document, and I clearly support that. What is your position on water shutoffs and water affordability in the city of Detroit? Well, first of all, you know, there will be no water shutoffs under my administration. You know, having been former interim director of the water department, I actually have worked very closely with Michigan Welfare Rights and other advocates to try to create an affordable water plan. We got a lot of pushback from lawyers because they said it couldn't be done because of various restrictions in the charter and bond covenants. But I rejected that notion and believed that, that we could move to affordability, perhaps a, a income-based plan or, or of approach. I think the other side of the coin, though, for water affordability is we have to attack and address the issue of the drainage fee. When you look at most people's water bill now, the drainage fee is like 60 or 70 percent of the bill. And we've got to begin to reduce that drainage fee through some very creative mechanisms of going to green conservation districts, really forcing more water runoff in our park system so that we can reduce the amount of water that's actually treated. But we can move to an affordable water plan by simply looking at our rate structure, keying that to what people's income is. It's better for everyone to pay a little something towards a water bill versus having a few people pay a lot and some people pay none. So we can equalize that out in a manner that is fair uh, to all the people who are ratepayers here in the city of Detroit. What's your position on the repayment of residents who have been overassessed and overpaid property taxes? It should occur. You know, it's, 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 it's ironic uh, that the citizens in Detroit who have paid so much in taxes, we would discover that people were overtaxed uh, conservatively to the tune of $600 million. And so I believe, I believe in the three C's. First of all, there has to be, there has to be compensation for people uh, who are overtaxed. And we can arrive by that in a very simple mechanism. For those people who actually own their home, we can give them a property tax credit on their future credits to compensate them for what they uh, have paid in overtaxation. For those people who actually lost their homes, I think this was an excellent opportunity to take some of the 40,000 houses that are in the land bank and provide these houses free of charge to people who have been overtaxed and who have lost their homes, and then give them property tax relief on the back end so that they can can get into those homes and make that home a, a meaningful place for them to live. Uh, we also have to we also have to be very clear about our assessment issues in the city of Detroit. People are still being overassessed on their taxes in the city of Detroit. And part of my plan there is to go back and revamp and re-examine actual assessments of people who are currently paying taxes. We know that that people at the lower end of the spectrum tend to be overassessed. And so we've got to begin to equalize that out and create a system of fairness so that everybody pays their fair share of taxes that no one pays more than, than, they, than they should. There also, I think, has to be a commitment on the other side to create more home ownership opportunities out of this whole overassessment loss of home issue. When you've had more than 150,000 people lose their homes as a result of tax foreclosure, we have to have a commitment to ensure that we get people back in their homes as owners. We have a lot of people now who are renting a home that they lost as a result of, of overtaxation. And I think the city should be setting up mechanism either through using of their affordable housing dollars or forcing the banks in this city to lend to people 
who have homes that are less than $100,000. There are a lot of restrictions on how banks actually can lend at that level. And I think we need to be lobbying uh, our people in, in, in the legislature to make the necessary changes to ensure that the structural racism element of, of lending in the city of Detroit uh, is abandoned. What is your plan and position on abandoned properties like schools throughout the city of Detroit owned by the Land Bank Authority? So they have to have a much more aggressive plan and in, in, I would say adaptive reuse of some of these facilities. When you look at a lot of these schools, uh, very excellent buildings, heavy brick structures that can be used for a lot of different things. We have an emerging industry in Detroit where we have a lot of people who are doing podcasts and broadcasts out of their living rooms. These are, this is an excellent opportunity to allow for have shared space in some of these buildings so that people can come into them and, and adaptively reuse these facilities so they don't become an eyesore in the community. That also gives our young entrepreneurs an opportunity to bring children in to kind of see what type of things you can do with yourself. You don't have to necessarily sit and play a video game all day. You actually can design a video game. You can do a podcast. There's so many different things you can do. We also have a great need in our city for transitional housing. And why are we not using a lot of these buildings to adapt for adaptive reuse for transitional housing to help people get through life? We have a serious homeless pro problem. We have a lot of vets uh, who are out on the streets. We've got to begin to use these facilities to put them to productive use. When you have the number of vacant buildings that we have in the city of Detroit with the number of entrepreneurs who are looking for space, this is an excellent opportunity to adaptively reuse these facilities, either for commercial purposes and or for residential purposes. It just makes sense to do that because they're buildings that are in the public domain. What's your definition of police reform? Do you feel it's needed in Detroit? If so, in what ways? What is your position on facial recognition technology? Facial recognition technology, I'm going to take them in reverse order, uh, is something that should be done away with. Here we're talking about a technology that has already been demonstrated to be inherently racist in this identification of blacks. And so why would we invest more than $20 million in a technology that discriminates against the, the predominant population in the city of Detroit? It just doesn't make sense to me. You're talking about a $20 million commitment to technology when we should be making a $20 million commitment in, in people. And when you talk about police reform, my view of police reform is that the department clearly needs to be reformed. When we have a situation where we have what I call a very active police strategy, it's based on green light, it's based on a shot spotter, and it's based on facial recognition technology. All those are reactive strategies. They are not much more proactive in terms of how we need to approach the issue. And so when I talk about police reform, what I say is that we've got a streamlined department. They have a lot of specialty bureaus within DPD, which probably need to be abolished. Things need to be consolidated. So first and foremost, we can get more officers on the ground. But more importantly than that, we also need a different kind of officer. And to that end, I've advocated for the creation of what I call a community intervention specialist, a person who may be a psychologist, he may be a psychiatrist, he may be a gang intervention specialist, he may be a homeless advocate, because a lot of the social issues in our city become criminal issues because people call the police. And what I'm suggesting is that if we have a different model of how we approach and how we intervene, we can reduce the actual criminal element in our community because these people oftentimes they are not criminals they are people with issues 
I think we also have to begin to demilitarize a large portion of the police department. I mean, I guess if the Department of Defense wants to get rid of all their heavy artillery and things, it's not necessary to have that in the city of Detroit, especially if the police department has a clear and close relationship with the people who live in the community. And so I'm advocating for one, demilitarizing of the police department. Two, I'm also talking about creating this new intervention model on how we go about our business. But three, we also have to be much more cognizant of the impact of crime and poverty and how the two interplay. I believe that we need to be much more proactive because we can identify who the young people are who are at risk for criminal activity. Why, why don't we have prehabilitation? That's a term I've come with versus rehabilitation. Why are we not going out there, approaching these young men and women saying, hey, there is an avenue, a pathway for you to really improve your life. If I gave you the opportunity to, shoot, to change from your life today, if I looked at your record and said, you've got you know, five warrants outstanding, you got things that are in your history that you need to change. If I give you the opportunity to change your life, would you take it? And if I also give you a supplemental income to help you through the transition period, would you take that? I think, what do we have to lose? Over the last 10 years, we've spent close to $3 billion in fighting crime, and crime is still off the roof. So we got to do something different. We have to transform how we police. We have to transform the relationship of the police department uh, to the community. My community intervention specialist approach also allows for us as an intake way of getting young people into the, into, the, into the police work so that they can see it's not something that they should be ashamed of. It's not something that we need to denigrate all the time. I think there's been a lot of back and forth and we kind of made policing a dirty word. I don't think it should be. It used to be a great career path for a lot of our friends who we know who were able to come in. They graduated from high school. They had a great job and they were able to police and be respected within our community. We've got to bring back that kind of level of pride for our officers. How would you enhance Detroit's neighborhoods and which neighborhoods would be your priority? Any specific one? So we know we have sort of, I would call a neighborhood situational approach to things here in Detroit. When I travel to Rosedale Park, Grandmont, uh, West Village, uh, new name, uh, Indian Village. We have communities that are fairly stable. But what the Detroit Future Cities report showed is that we're also losing our middle class income neighborhoods. And part of what we need to do is first and foremost, we have to stabilize people in their homes. The greatest blight removal strategy is to make sure that people stay in their home. And so my approach is much more dedicated to dealing with the neighborhoods that are the most challenged. I know that there's an isolated house in Rosedale or, 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 English, or English Village uh, that may need some help, but they need to, uh, under a vacant building registry program, the people who own that house, whether it's the bank, need to take care of it. But I'm also much more concerned about the neighborhoods that don't have that, that have many vacant houses. How do we begin to stabilize and then reconnect our resources to where they're actually needed? When we look at that and we put we can put together a clear matrix on how we examine each neighborhood, there's been more than enough research done on everything done in the city of Detroit. Now it's the time to take all that information, to put it to action, and then put the resources where they are. If we're stabilizing people in their homes, we got a chance to win. There are four problems that I see all the time when I when I walk through the neighborhoods and I walk through every neighborhood in the city. I first walk up to the front porch, the front porch is broken. I then look up on the roof. The roof needs to be repaired. Also, I see the gutters hanging down. The house either needs some siding or it needs to be painted. And then when you talk with a senior citizen, uh, incidentally, outside, they need a furnace. 
We have to provide those basic needs to keep people stabilized in their homes. That will strengthen the core structure of a neighborhood because these people are the ones that stayed. They never left. And so we've got to provide them with what they need. That helps to stabilize the neighborhood. And then we go about using the other dollars to enhance new construction in these areas to attract people back into these neighborhoods. Middle class people are actually being priced out of the city of Detroit. I was talking to a guy the other day. He told me he almost can't afford to buy a home because every home he looked at was $300,000 and it needed $100,000 worth of work. So where is the house that costs $125,000 that we can help you fix that house up to move in so we can get you a start in life? We've lost so much uh, generational wealth as a result of tax foreclosures. We need to begin to reverse that trend to put housing and ownership back in people's hands so that they can build wealth for themselves. What do you see as the future of Detroit? Well, it depends on who's elected mayor. <laughs> if, if, if I'm elected mayor, we will see a much different trajectory in the city of Detroit. First and foremost, the people who have been here, the people who stayed here, the people who live in these neighborhoods that have never gotten a dime are going to see relief. You're also talking about supporting the local businesses that actually exist in the city of Detroit that have never gotten a dime of any special program that they developed. You also see a greater use of affordable housing dollars in our neighborhoods to create both grants for people to stabilize their homes as well as for people to buy property here in the city of Detroit. You also see a much different model of policing in terms of use of community intervention specialists to begin to divert so that we can have more prehabilitation versus rehabilitation. You also see a much more transparent government. Our government operates in secrecy. There's no pushback. There's no questioning of anything. I think part of the issue in having an informed electorate is to explain to people what is going on. I think you've got to have that close personal relationship with the people in the neighborhoods and to the end you will see me riding through the neighborhoods stopping in the parks talking with people understanding what their needs and concerns are because there's a connection that we have to have if we're all going to succeed i believe because i was how i was raised by my mother uh, may she rest in peace was a good woman who never never went to college but instilled within me sort of a public service um ideology that you know you have to do the best for people if you've been blessed with skills and talents and i'm not the most talented guy i'm not making that claim i'm not the most skilled guy but what you will find from me is a person who is really committed to the goodness of man and i believe that we have to help people uplift and improve the quality of their lives if i could have one minute for one story when i was general counsel of the um a school district i got a, a call from a principal who was complaining about a mother bringing their daughter to school, but the mother was drunk every day. And so I had to, I had to see this for myself because I'm like, well, she's drunk every day, but she's still bringing her daughter to school. So I go to the school, I park outside at the appointed time. The mother, here she is coming up, bringing her daughter to school and she was drunk. And so after she dropped her daughter off to school, I had the principal, I said, would you bring her in your office? And so we had a conversation and I said, ma'am, I said, it's really wonderful that you bring your daughter to school every day. We commend you for that. But you know, she's kind of embarrassed because when you leave, kids talk about mama, your mama, she drunk, your mama, you this, your mama, that, that. I said, maybe if there's something we can kind of help you transition, if there's some help that you need, people have to begin to go outside of their comfort zone in terms of what they do in our community. We've got to take that extra step because people are in need. I said the reality is I told the principal is that even though she's drunk every day, we got a lot of parents who are not drunk who never bring their kids to school. 
If we can help someone do something positive in their life, I think we need to do that. Man, Detroit should vote for me because I'm about real change. There is a certain political order in this town that's gotten very comfortable with themselves. Um, they all go to the same clubs. They hang out the same restaurants and bars. And they really aren't about the business of doing the work, the public services needed in order to move the city forward. Make no mistakes about it. This is very, very, very hard work to do. But you have to be truly committed to a goal. And if that goal is to make Detroit the, the shining city on, on the hill, then it takes a lot of work to pull people together and to unite our community. We're so fractured in our own city. I hate you. You hate me. You did this to me 50 years ago. I did that to you 10 years ago. Okay, let's get past all that. We've got to heal ourselves. We've got to talk about how we heal ourselves from the pain of the things that have occurred over the last 50 years. We have to accept our responsibility for what's necessary for us to do. And so when you vote for me, what you're voting for is a guy who has a good heart, who has a pure spirit, and who is really committed to helping people be the best person that they can be. It was one thing my mother taught me. She says, always be the best you could be. And if you're trying to be the best you can be, and if you send the hand back to help someone else, we don't put the hand back anymore. We close the hand up in the fiscal. We're trying to hold on to everything. Well, let's share. Let's do this all. We can all work together. We can be a great city if we truly believe in one another. And that's what you're getting from Anthony Adams. <laughs>